From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, emboldened by a GOP-enabled victory on his $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Plus bill, President Biden said his build government bigger plan was next. Let me be clear. We will pass this in the House and we'll pass it in the Senate. We'll get the latest on both the infrastructure and reconciliation bills from Harris Alec, Capitol Hill reporter with The Washington Times. Also, Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry will weigh in on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals stay they they issued over the weekend on President Biden's uh, vaccine mandate. And Mississippi is also fighting the mandate on multiple fronts. Governor Tate Reeves will also join me a little later here on Washington Watch. Also a reporter with Epic Times, uh, Luca Binyat, covering the government's failure to pursue and prosecute those responsible for atrocities committed against Nigerian Christians has been arrested. Today, he was charged with cyber stalking. Is there a pattern by the Nigerian government of suppressing the media as they ignore religious persecution? We'll get the latest on this story that broke over the weekend from Douglas Burton, African editor for Epic Times. And finally, let's talk spin. Well, look, I do think the voters uh, sent a message on Tuesday. They wanted to see more action in Washington. They wanted to see things move more quickly. And, and three days later, Congress responded, passing the president's infrastructure bill. That was the president's uh, chief of staff, Ron Klain, on Meet the Press yesterday. We'll take an honest look at the numbers and what they tell us about where the American people are on the president's agenda with pollster Scott Rasmussen, editor of Ballotpedia. TonyPerkins.com is the website. If you miss anything on your way home, you can find it all there later at TonyPerkins.com. From coast to coast, border to border, pray together for life on Sunday, November the 28th. We'll be joined in Jackson, Mississippi, with a powerful and an amazingly diverse group of leaders. To find out how you can join us from wherever, from wherever you are, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's the word TOGETHER to 67742. And you can be a part of this historic prayer meeting that will be taking place on Sunday night, November the 28th, just three days before the Supreme Court takes up the oral arguments in the case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. Again, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. By the way, for those listening in Baton Rouge area, I'll be speaking this evening at the Veterans Day ceremonies at the Central Intermediate School in Central City, Louisiana. The event begins at 6 p.m. Central time. So hope you can join us for that. It was uh, shaping up to be one of uh, Joe Biden's worst weeks yet, humiliated in Virginia and nearly so in New Jersey. Democrats woke up on Wednesday morning reeling from rejection. Then came the news that the president's approval ratings had collapsed with a good share of his own voters saying he's done a worse job than they expected and another two-thirds hoping he doesn't run again. By all rights, Biden's radical agenda was done for. It was kaput. Until, until Friday night when for some unknown reason, 13 Republicans decided to hand the sinking party a life raft. Just when it seemed that the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was on the verge of a stinging setback, the GOP came to her rescue, voting in favor of another bill America can't afford, Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. 
So where does that put us with the reconciliation bill? What's next on Capitol Hill? Joining us now is Harris Alec, Washington Times Capitol Hill reporter. He joins us by phone. Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. You're absolutely right. President Biden's agenda is stalled. Um, he campaigned as being this uh, uh, as being this master of the Senate, this legislative taskmaster, someone who's able to push his agenda through. And he has significant issues with his own party. Um, this infrastructure bill, which a decade ago would have been incredibly popular and would have uh, flown through, took about nine months to pass. It's a bill that is incredibly flawed, but a bill that wasn't really even going to become law unless, a, unless 13 Republicans uh, hadn't stepped in and saved him from the, um, the, the opposition of his own party. So while the administration is taking a victory lap on this and saying it's such a big, uh, big victory for them, in reality, Democrats handed President Biden a defeat because moving forward, they've shown that this small progressive faction within the House is emboldened and can essentially kill any piece of legislation. Uh, moving forward if they choose to, because you're not going to be able to find 13 Republican votes for any sort of Green New Deal-style legislation to tackle climate change. You're not going to be able to find 13 Republican votes to expand the welfare state. You're not going to be able to find 13 Republican votes to deal with the bevy of issues that Democrats want to deal with moving forward. Um, This is not going to be proud of. This this shows the president has a divided party, a party that is not um, willing to work together. And it's very, very difficult to bridge that divide between AOC and Joe Manchin. Joe Biden doesn't seem up to the task right now. Well, let's let's talk about that, Harris. Where all right, they they got the first of the two bills, the smaller bill, the one point two trillion. They got it through with thirteen Republican votes. The Progressive Caucus uh, not voting for it, uh, at least a large portion of them. So now we turn to the bigger bill. Uh, where we were waiting for a uh, congressional score on it, the budget office, to give us an idea what the final tally is for it, somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 trillion. So will they be able to pass this? Will the progressives vote for this since it's some of their key items have been stripped out? Well, that's nearly the uh, the $1.75 trillion question now is whether or not Mr. Biden's party is going to hold um, it's, it's actually insane that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi wanted to hold a vote on this bill last week when Democrats had just finished writing it, um, and it's still by no means final. It runs about 2,000 pages. They claim that it only costs $1.75 trillion, but a lot of their own moderates are saying that's probably not true because now you have an expansion of Medicare in there. You've got prescription drug pricing reform. Um, you, you've got paid family leave. All of these things that President Biden had to jettison because they weren't able to pass the Senate are now back in this House bill. This bill, by all means, is dead on arrival when it comes into the Senate, but Speaker Nancy Pelosi is pushing her uh, her caucus to vote for it anyway. And a lot of these moderate Democrats are going to potentially say, well, we're not going to do this. They're going to potentially draw some red lines here because after Virginia, after New Jersey, I think they realize that no Democrat is safe out there uh, when it comes right. to their reelection bids. And um, this $1.75 trillion, $2 trillion, $4 trillion bill, however much it ends up costing, is by no means a done deal. Look, it's, it's, it's taking Democrats nine months to even come up with a compromise framework for a bill. Um, and a lot of the Democrats are saying it's still not acceptable. So I don't know how they're going to be able to get this done, especially given that they have a government funding deadline coming in in December. They've got uh, right. appropriation bills on the way. They've got a Christmas break, and then they've got all of uh, next year's legislative session. And if this bill 
took them nine months just to figure out kind of what the broad contours are and nine months to get to the point where they don't even have a deal. I can't imagine a deal is going to come through in the next few weeks. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch. Uh, Harris Alec, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always great to, uh, to hear uh, your insights on what's happening on Capitol Hill. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Tony. All right. Uh, Harris Alec with uh, Washington Times. Infrastructure and the social spending bill were not the only things the Biden administration had to uh, deal with. Uh, over the weekend and last week. In fact, uh, on Friday, the administration's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, uh, also known as OSHA and the Department of Labor, issued its rule on COVID vaccines for private employers with 100 or more employees, forcing the unvaccinated employees to either get the COVID jab or be subject to weekly testings and masking requirements or lose their job. Thankfully, many states stood up for the rights of their residents and sued the administration for its reckless mandate. And over the weekend, the Fifth Circuit placed a stay on the vaccine mandate for private employers. One of those state attorneys general who was a part of filing this suit is from my home state of Louisiana, Attorney General Jeff Landry, and he joins me now. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's always a pleasure to be with you and, uh, and your listeners and watchers as well. Great day today. Okay, explain for our audience what the Fifth Circuit did on on Saturday and what that means going forward. Okay, if I could step back just a little bit, Tony, because there's a lot of information out there and people are really confused. Uh, so if, if you could imagine three buckets, and the, the question is whether or not you fit in any one of the three buckets. The first bucket is the bucket under which the president issued an executive order saying that anyone who was a federal contractor or received federal grants must put in place a COVID-19 vaccine policy, right? And so in that bucket, if you're a federal contractor or if you work for a university or someone or any local government that receives federal funding, you may fit in that bucket. On Thursday of last week, the state of Louisiana, along with a bunch of other states, walked into federal court and filed a case against that executive order. Then there's the second bucket, which is the OSHA rule. This was the instructions by President Biden back in September when he uttered those famous words of, it's not about freedom. And he instructed OSHA to implement a rule that would be vastly sweeping and say that anyone who had over 100 employees would be mandated to force their employee, employees to get the shot. On Friday, we walked in with the state of Texas and other states, some business owners and other business owners followed us and filed action in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. What's interesting about that is that when, an OSHA, when, o, when OSHA creates a rule under the emergency process, the challenge to that rule is directly at the appellate level. And so what you saw on Saturday morning was that three-judge panel basically said, time out. We're going to stop. We're freezing the implementation of this rule until we can know more about its effects. And then they put a very expedited scheduling order where they then instructed the government by 5 p.m. today to file a response to what we filed on Friday. The third bucket, and then, I'll, and then I'll let you ask a couple of questions about that, is the CMS bucket, right? That covers healthcare workers, and that 
That is where the president instructed CMS to say that anyone who receives funding either under the Medicare or Medicaid program are going to are going to also be required to have a vaccine policy. We're loading up that suit as we speak. So at present, it is the private employer with more than 100 employees that has been stayed by the Fifth Circuit. That's correct. And that's real important. That's the most expansive of the three buckets. And so, correct. yes, the, the the third circuit, I mean, the Fifth Circuit basically said, nope, told OSHA, you cannot implement this rule right now. Do you expect similar action on the other two mandates? I do. I do. I mean, because both of those cases are cases that we're bringing inside of district courts that are supervised by the Fifth Circuit. And so I think that the Fifth Circuit's actions on Saturday basically give those other judges a lot of runway. The time frame. When uh, should we see the court act? Obviously, they're going to try to do this before the implementation of January the 4th. Well, interestingly enough, based upon the actions of the Fifth Circuit on Saturday, I think that you may see the Fifth Circuit make another ruling. Oh, I, I think maybe as soon as Friday or as late as Monday, and then that would be directly appealable to the United States Supreme Court. Interesting. We're going to be watching this, obviously, very closely. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Landry, uh, thanks so much for being at the tip of the spear on so many of these issues. Tony, thank you so much for giving me your time. All right. Thanks for being with us. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. On the other side of the break, we'll be uh, joined with the governor of Mississippi, who is also fighting on multiple fronts these mandates. We're going to get the latest from Governor Tate Reeves next year on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, 
Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and the website is TonyPerkins.com. As we were discussing before the break, the pushback to President Biden's COVID shot mandate uh, is pretty intense. Uh, published uh, late last week, uh, the rule on Friday, uh, the response has been fast and furious in opposition. Another state that uh, the Biden administration is going to have to face off with is the state of Mississippi. But over the weekend, in an attempt to try to do... Um, Play word games. The um, I guess this was on uh, this was actually on Friday uh, after the rule had been issued. The deputy press secretary, Karine Jean Pierre, uh, said, "Well, I'm just going to let you hear what she said." Play clip number two. As for the legal side of this, uh, let me be crystal clear to avoid what appears to be possible misinformation or disinformation around the emergency temporary standard being a vaccine mandate. That would be on its face incorrect, as has been explicit for months. It is a standard for safe workplace to either comply with weekly testing or to be vaccinated. Okay, maybe I missed something. How is that not a mandate? Either you get a shot you get weekly testing or you lose your job. I mean, we're playing word games here. Joining me now to talk more about this is the governor of the state of Mississippi, who is also in this fight for freedom, Governor Tate Reeves. Governor, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be on. So Mississippi has filed, uh, as of last I saw in press reports, you filed two suits, one against the federal um, contractors mandate, as well as the one in the Fifth Circuit. You were a part of uh, that case uh, that Louisiana was a part of. Are there other suits that you're now uh, filing? Well, we're going to file an additional suit probably before the end of this week, Tony, which addresses uh, what we just learned about uh, late last week, which is this now desire to force health care workers, again, through a mandate by the federal government, force health care workers that receive funding from CMS, which basically is any healthcare provider that, that provides services for uh, the Division of Medicaid, uh, Medicare, or any other federal services. We CMS is saying that all healthcare workers have to be vaccinated. Again, it is a mandate regardless of what the Deputy Press Secretary says. It is unconstitutional, it's illegal, and we plan to file suit uh, sometime uh, within the next few days. 
Governor, what other actions does, does Mississippi plan to take to protect your citizens from this overreach of the federal government? We're really focused on litigation right now. We had a huge victory over the weekend. On Saturday, uh, as you know, the Fifth Circuit, uh, which includes uh, Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, uh, decided to take our case and issue a stay uh, so that that cannot take uh, effect yet. And and listen, Tony, let's be honest. The, The Biden administration argues that this is an emergency, but the president announced that this OSHA rule would come out over 60 days ago. It took them 60 days to actually issue the ruling, and it doesn't go into effect for another 60 days. So nothing says emergency like, well, it's going to take us 120 days to get our act together. The reality is this is an attempt by the federal government to expand its reach, to expand its control over the American people. It's unconstitutional and it's illegal. And in Mississippi, we're going to fight back using every tool we possibly have. You know, Governor, that's a really good point about the they're using the emergency rule procedure here, meaning they are short taking shortcuts to get this rule through, not having the public input because of, quote unquote, an emergency. I mean, how do you say that this is an emergency? As you just pointed out, it's taken them this long to get to this point. But secondly, we're actually seeing a decline in the number of covid hospitalizations. Some are suggesting that maybe we've reached that point of uh, herd immunity where both those that are vaccinated and those that have natural immunity are providing that uh, firewall. Well, well, there's no question. If you look just in my state uh, from our numbers in August, we are down 90 percent from our peak in terms of total number of cases. We are down 85% from our peak in terms of total number of hospitalizations. Uh, we are down uh, uh, over 80% in terms of number of patients uh, in the ICU. And so there's no question that um, that we are not in the same spot that we've been over the last year and a half. But at the end of the day, the, the, the simplest way in which to look at this in my mind is uh, regardless of how you feel about the vaccine, if the president of the United States has the unilateral authority to force Americans to get a jab in their arm or lose their jobs, the obvious question is, what does the president not have the authority to do? And, and, the, and that's just a, that's a fact. This, this action by this president should scare all Americans. It shouldn't matter what your political views are, because at some point, we're not going to have a liberal Democrat in the office. We're going to have a conservative Republican. And I will tell you, that there, if the president can do anything he or she wants unilaterally without actions by Congress, um, it, it takes us down a very, very scary and very slippery slope. Could not agree with you more. And I think uh, while the Fifth Circuit did not rule on the merits of this case, their comments would suggest that they have a similar view. They said uh, they have those calls to believe there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate. And so that, I would suggest, uh, says that uh, they're looking at this in a very similar way. Uh, Governor, we're almost out of time, but I want to commend you for the way you've led Mississippi to fight for our freedoms in a number of ways, not only here on this issue of the mandate, but Mississippi is at the center of the issue of Roe v. Wade and abortion with the Dobbs case. And we're going to be down in 
uh, Jackson, Mississippi, on November the 28th, a Sunday night for a prayer meeting. I know you're going to be joining us for that event, and uh, we just appreciate your leadership and how Mississippi could be uh, at the tip of the spear in overturning Roe v. Wade and sending that issue back to the states. Well, well thank you, Tony. We have a great opportunity. The, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear our case. We know the science has changed. Uh, we know that we are on the right side uh, of this litigation, and we're going to work very, very hard. And I can't wait to welcome you back to Mississippi as well. Well, Governor, always great to be with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining this evening, and uh, we look forward to seeing you just in a couple of weeks. Look forward to seeing you. All right, folks, on the other side of this break, troubling signs on the stability of Nigeria. Douglas Burton of the Epic Times joins me with the latest on that country of particular concern and a reporter that has been jailed because he has been reporting on what the Nigerian officials are refusing to do, prosecute and pursue those who are part of religious persecution. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch right after this. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As I was mentioning, the event Pray Together for Life from coast to coast, border to border, be taking place on Sunday night, November the 28th, 7 p.m. Central Time. You can join us. We've got a tremendous lineup of uh, speakers, including, as you just heard, the governor of Mississippi will be joining us. You can text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's 67742, the word TOGETHER, to find out how you can be a part of 
that as the court takes up oral arguments in the Dobbs case, which will take the Roe v. Wade uh, case, uh, the prevailing jurisprudence of the court to task. Again, that's uh, text the word together to 67742. Since 2009, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which I serve on, has recommended that Nigeria be classified as a country of particular concern for its allowing a systematic, ongoing, and egregious religious persecution. Last year, last year, the Trump administration's State Department agreed and designated Nigeria as a country of particular concern for the first time ever due to that systematic, ongoing, and egregious violation of religious freedom. Well, the concern has only grown since uh, that December 2020 designation, from the Nigerian government cracking down on journalists for holding the government accountable, including detaining the Epic Times reporter Luca Binyat, uh, to, um, in fact, today they announced charges against him for cyber stalking. Join me now with more on what is happening is Douglas Burton. He is the Epic Times African editor. Uh, Douglas, welcome to Washington Watch. Uh, thank you, Tony. It's an honor to be here. Uh, Douglas, tell us the latest with Luca. Tell his story and, and tell our listeners uh, what has tra- transpired there. Uh, Luca Luca Biniat is from Kaduna. It's the one of the largest states in north central Nigeria. He's been a journalist for 30 years. He was the bureau chief for a big newspaper in Nigeria called Vanguard. And he's been in trouble with the Nigerian government uh, before. Uh, four years ago, he was jailed uh, because uh, he was jailed uh, on, under the charges of breach of the public peace and of uh, publishing uh, false and injurious information. I can correct one thing. Uh, I think you're right about uh, s- cyber stalking, but we understand from the public uh, press release given today that Luca will be charged with injurious, uh, false information and defamation as well, because he has offended apparently what he published in his article in the Epic Times on October 29th, all of which was true. It, uh, it, uh, caused injury and unpleasant feelings of fear and intimidation on the part of the uh, top uh, security commissioner in the state of Kaduna, Mr. Samuel Erewhon. Now, Douglas, uh, what he was reporting on was a Baptist church, a group that had been abducted in which uh, atrocities were carried out. In fact, a number of those individuals were killed and the government, the government, Nigerian government, refuse to pursue and prosecute, as I understand, and that's what Luca was writing about. Is that correct? Exactly. In fact, the, the government of Nigeria has neglected and deliberately, deliberately neglected to make arrests and prosecutions in dozens, dozens of cases of massacres in the state of Kaduna and Plateau State. So here we have a reporter that is reporting on these religious uh, motivated atrocities that are taking place. And as you've pointed out, this is happening all across Nigeria. That is why uh, they were uh, designated a country of particular concern. It is uh, the largest African uh, country uh, population wise has the ability to destabilize the entire continent uh, if this continues. Um, So what is the Nigerian government saying other than these charges that have been leveled against Luca? Are they defending their inaction in this case, or what are they saying? 
Well, we just have the statement of the uh, Commissioner of Public Security, who is, by the way, a Christian, Mr. Samuel Erewhon. And he said today to journalists that uh, what Lucas said was false. Uh, he said that he was inciting uh, disturbance and he was uh, risking the public order uh, simply uh, by by reporting that uh, he, Arawan, was uh, confusing the public about the government's role in allowing the genocide against Christians. Uh, in fact, Mr. Arawan is doing exactly that. Right. Uh, Douglas, f- final question for you. Has the United States State Department or the Biden administration weighed in on this at all? No, sir. Uh, the chief of mission report, which uh, the, on Nigeria that came out earlier this year, stated that most of the conflict in Nigeria can be explained by uh, as communal conflicts or communal clashes over scarce resources. And right. in fact, uh, this is a false narrative that the government of Nigeria loves and which Mr. Erewhon would like to continue. Of course, he's embarrassed by the reporting of the Epic Times, which exposes it. And I assume you're going to continue to report on Lucas' case so that the uh, the world will know what Nigeria is doing in that situation. Yes, that's a high priority. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the news business has always been bad news. And there is tons of news opportunity in a place like Nigeria. You are unfortunately correct. Douglas, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, We will be uh, watching this very, 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 very closely. Thank you. All right, folks, and stick with us, because on the other side of the break, we're going to be joined by Scott Rasmussen. We're going to talk about what do the numbers tell us about what took place last week? What does the polling show us that the American people are? Is it as the squad says? The Democrats just weren't leftist enough. (laughs) We're going to talk about it next year on Washington. Why a watch? (laughs) Don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. 
In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. From coast to coast, border to border, pray together for life on November the 28th to find out more about how you can be a part of that as we pray just three days uh, preceding the oral arguments in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Clinic case. Uh, text the word together to 67742. That's 67742. Two. I want to go to this mandate before we go to our, before I bring my last guest in. Um, first off, I know a lot of people are dealing with this. Okay, I know a lot of folks are wrestling with this because I've gotten a lot of emails, I've gotten phone calls from friends and others who are now caught up into this uh, this mandate web, and of course, the court providing some um, potential relief. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. In fact, this week uh, on our Pray Vote stand on Wednesday night that uh, that we do every week as we spend a little time praying about some of these issues, going a little deeper, we're going to be focused on this mandate and how Christians should approach it. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm concerned about a mandate, and I think it's an overreach. And, and here's one of the reasons why. Uh, this weekend um, on George Stephanopoulos, this week with George Stephanopoulos, this was yesterday, uh, Martha Raddatz was the host, and she had the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, uh, and was asked about how far might the Biden administration go. Play clip number four. And Dr. Murthy, if the law survives legal challenges, will the administration be extending the mandate to smaller employers with fewer than 100 employers employees? Well, Martha, certainly nothing is off the table at this moment, but the focus right now is on implementing uh, the current rule that OSHA put out. Nothing is off the table. Those are the operative words. We see this now with this push with uh, some areas to mandate this now for children, now that the shot has been approved for tots, shots for tots. Uh, where where will the mandates end? I, I think 
We are right to be concerned. I'm thankful for the state leaders that are pushing back and private entities that are caught up into this web that are also suing. I think, I think this was also a part of what happened last week in, in uh, Virginia and elsewhere where there was major pushback against the agenda of the Republicans. Now we're hearing the Democrats saying, well, it's just because the Democratic agenda got derailed in Washington and they weren't able to get these big spending th- bills through. But now that they've got this one through, the future looks good for them. Well, let's take a look at what actually the American people are thinking. And joining me to talk about this is Scott Rasmussen, founders scottrasmussen.com, and he is the editor-at-large at Ballotpedia. Scott, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Tony. Lots to talk about these days. Uh, a whole lot. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, I would start by saying the mandate issue is part of the reason that uh, Glenn Youngkin is the governor-elect in Virginia. Uh, people, you know, if, you, if we poll and say, do you favor or oppose this mandate, you get very soft support. Just over half of people say, yeah, I kind of like it. Uh, but that's really just virtue signaling. They're saying they like the idea of vaccination. When you push a little further, you find that 39% of voters say they know somebody who, if this all goes forward, will have to get vaccinated against their will because they can't afford to lose their job. Now, if somebody is getting vaccinated against their will or afraid that's going to happen, they're really angry. They're going to vote. They're going to go talk to other people. And uh, that is one of the sleeper issues that's involved here. Now, we also saw rising to the top of the issue set in Virginia was education. Now, this is not an issue that uh, is historically seen as a Republican issue or at least valuable to Republicans. That's usually a Democratic issue. Uh, But in this case, a quarter of the voters in some of the polling that I saw identified education as their top issue. And I think three quarters of those broke for uh, Glenn Youngkin. Is this something that's isolated to Virginia or are we seeing this elsewhere across the country? Oh, absolutely not limited to Virginia. I think we need to be clear about what it is that that's happening, though. Uh, this is not about what some people are calling critical race theory. It's not about, you know, one particular issue. It is about an attitude that says parents stay away. You're, you're not involved in your children's schooling. Uh, and I think, I mean, look, at the moment that uh, Terry McAuliffe made that statement about um, parents shouldn't be telling their are te- telling the schools what to teach their children. I, I tweeted out that that's the definition of a mis- of a-, a debate gap. But what was truly remarkable about it is that McAuliffe and the Democrats just didn't pick up on it. So I think we're going to see this in lots of places. And again, it's important. What we're talking about here is parents want to have a say in their children's education. They want to see all the curriculum, all the books, that because they should. Right. I mean, my my take on this, uh, obviously, coming from a particular perspective in talking to a particular group of people, I know that's not reflective of the entire country. I think the broader concern is what you've identified here. I think many parents are concerned about the subject matter, the the curricular the the curriculum on critical race theory, the gender bathrooms that led to uh, this uh, assault of a girl there in uh, Loudoun County. But I think the bigger issue is what you pointed to. It was the response when parents went to the school boards and said, hey, what's going on? And there was this level of arrogance that was, I mean, I watched hours of these uh, various school board meetings and was stunned 
at the arrogance that was targeted at parents basically saying, we know better than you what your kids need. Yeah. And, you know, what's amazing about this is school boards begin with a tremendous amount of goodwill. People, you know, you don't normally wake up and get angry at a school board member. They're donating their time in most cases and they're trying to do something. Uh, It takes a lot to get them angry. And we've been seeing a lot thrown this way. And it's really important that we talk about this in terms of, you know, appropriate school boards have a role. Uh, We can't deny that they should have a role. It's part of our system of governance. However, parents need to have the ultimate say in what their children are taught. And what we're seeing here, um, I think, is, is getting to this idea that parents are starting to wake up and say, you know, we, we had all these kids locked down last year. We saw what was going on. We're not quite sure we like it. It's not I, I will never I would never use the term critical race theory to describe what's happening because most parents don't know what that means. Right, However, right. in Virginia, three out of four voters recognize, believe that America was founded on the noble ideals of freedom, equality, and self-governance. They reject the idea that it was founded on uh, racism and white supremacy. If you put it in those terms, parents know the way they want their history to be taught. It's a truthful history that acknowledges our flaws, but we are a good nation and with a great history and If we continue to pursue our founding ideals, we have a greater future. That's what people want taught. Um, And to the degree that that some members of the the educational world want to do something else, uh, there's going to be a lot of pushback. So, Scott, we often talk about intensity in in polling because that uh, numbers are one thing, but the intensity of those numbers are something else. When you look at what is unfolding right now. As you said, this is not isolated to Virginia. You've got parents engaged all across the country. I think there was some like 80 school board races or so uh, last week. What's the intensity level? How how would you uh, juxtapose the intensity level now to what we saw, say, uh, 10 years ago with the rise of the Tea Party movement? Uh, In a lot of ways, very similar. The most motivated voters, the people who can't wait for the 2022 midterm uh, elections to come around, are people who support the policies of former President Donald Trump. They are fired up. They are excited. Uh, Bernie Sanders supporters, traditional Democrats, traditional Republicans, not so much. Uh, The Sanders wing of the party is not quite sure that they like the mansion wing of the party. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of cross currents and a lot of Democrats are getting frustrated that despite winning the White House and nominal control of Congress, they haven't got all that much done. Last week, uh, Democratic political strategist James Carville from my home state of Louisiana was asked on uh, PBS NewsHour about the election results. And uh, he essentially, when, when asked what went wrong, he said, what went wrong is stupid wokeness. Um, do you do you think he's got his finger on something? Absolutely. Uh, look, if you look at the election returns in the rural areas, turnout was up higher than anybody thought possible. And the margins for Republicans, not just in Virginia, but all around the country were up. The suburban voters who some of them were turned off by President Trump, but they were even more turned off by what we saw in that arrogance about school issues and other things. If the Democrats are losing uh, rural voters by huge numbers, and it is because of the woke, politically correct agenda, and if they're losing the suburban voters, or even if they're just breaking even on suburban voters, 
There's not enough people in the cities to make up for that. Uh, if the election were held today, I would guess the Republicans would pick up 50 seats in the House and three or four in the Senate. Now, elections a year away, so that could change. Uh, but the dynamics are very bad for the Democrats right now. Well, let's talk about that. You've been tracking the president's approval rating. Give us the latest on uh, what the president's rating approval rating is and the trajectory that you see. Right now, he's in the low 40% range. We've done a lot of polling, and we end up 42 43 44% type of range among registered voters. But again, you talk about intensity. Um, our last survey showed that 19% of voters strongly approved of the job President Biden is doing. 40% strongly disapprove. Um, the trajectory is not good. I, I don't know if it's stabilized. I mean, presidents have a base. Their party will stick with them uh, unless things get really bad. So I don't expect the president's numbers will slip much lower. Uh, it's even possible they could come back if the economy picks up next year, but they will never get back to where they were, you know, in the above 50 percent range. Now, we've I've read a number of stories that say, well, his approval rating is as low as Donald Trump's approval rating. Um, but the intensity level of the support, the strong support that Donald Trump had, if I'm not mistaken, was a much bigger portion than what Joe Biden enjoys. Well, ultimately, yes. But at this point in his first term, the numbers were pretty similar to Joe Biden's. Uh, there was a lot of concern. And uh, so I think it's it, it would be a mistake to say one or the other is better in terms of their approval ratings at this point. Uh, the challenge for President Biden is going to be to figure out a way to turn this around, uh, because the issues that the Democrats had banked on um, are simply not popular. And we noticed something very interesting, perhaps the beginning of a trend. People are now beginning to get more optimistic about putting the pandemic behind this, but they're becoming more pessimistic about the economy. Uh, that mm-hmm. hasn't happened in the last year and a half. When people felt better about the pandemic, they felt better about the economy. Uh, I think what's happening for the Biden administration causing them real problems are things like the supply chain issues and the sharp inflation that people are seeing. Remember, you know, for somebody who lives paycheck to paycheck, if you put $20 of extra in your gas tank each week, that's $20 less to spend on groceries. Right. If you can get those groceries with the supply yeah, chain issues. Uh, I, I played this clip earlier, but I just see this as spin. This was the president's uh, chief of staff, uh, Ron Klain, that was on Meet the Press uh, that aired yesterday. Play clip number five again, please. Well, look, I do think the voters uh, sent a message on Tuesday. They wanted to see more action in Washington. They wanted to see things move more quickly. And, and three days later, Congress responded, passing the president's infrastructure bill. Is that what uh, voters want more of the uh, leftist policies of the Biden administration? You know, first off, most voters weren't paying attention. I was tracking that bill. The, uh, there was no outcry for or against this legislation. It was a big deal in Washington, but among most voters, it was a non-event. And I think people's eyes glaze over after a while. You know, we spent a trillion here, three trillion there, and they can't keep track. Uh, The idea that passing that bill is going to turn things around is ridiculous. Uh, Doing something about inflation, doing something about the supply chains, uh, doing something, you know, to address the crisis at the southern border, those are issues that would draw attention and have an impact. 
uh, but we don't see any serious effort to address those issues. I mean, for the most part, Scott, most people pay attention to those things that directly affect them. Right. And unfortunately, though, some of these policies in the long run do have significant impact. You said inflation. You look at rising prices. uh, You look at the supply chain disruptions. It's a lot of the policies that are coming out of Washington, D.C. that affect those things that ultimately uh, filter down to the people. Uh, Scott, we're out of time, but it's always great to talk with you. Uh, Always interested in what uh, you are seeing, people are thinking and uh, the trends that we see out there. So thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Thank you. Look forward to joining you again. Absolutely. And folks, check out his website, scottrasmussen.com. He's got a, actually, I think he comes out almost every day with a different poll. And uh, you can see it. Uh, Go on the website, go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links over. Uh, I I find it interesting to see what people are thinking because it helps shape what we need to be talking about, whether it's education to bring people along or uh, help facilitate the direction that people are going. Again, uh, let me remind you, on our way out, December, uh, November, rather, the 28th, Pray Together for Life in Jackson, Mississippi, to find out how you can be a part of this event. We'll be praying from coast to coast, border to border, as we join right there in Jackson, Mississippi, the epicenter of this challenge to Roe v. Wade. You can be a part of it. Text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's 67742. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.